0: Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, our readings for this fourth Sunday of Advent reveal something that our fathers in the faith took for granted, but that we too often forget. Namely, that the New Testament can only be properly understood in light of the Old. That's a very old problem, by the way, in the church. There were heretics very early on who said, get rid of the Old Testament. It, it testifies to a fallen God, a God of cruelty and violence and all this. That view, by the way, is all over the place today. But very early on, the church resisted it and said, no, no, the two Testaments have to be read together. In fact, without the Old Testament, you just won't get what the New Testament is talking about. What was revealed in Jesus makes sense, only against this very rich and complex background of what was revealed in the history of Israel. Okay, our readings today are a very good example of this principle. Our first reading... It's taken from the 7th chapter of the 2nd book of Samuel. You know, by the way, if you're interested in getting into the Bible, I'd recommend the 1st and 2nd books of Samuel. They're full of adventure and drama, and they're very interesting books, so that's a good way to start. The two biblical books of Samuel have to do largely with King David. The first with David's rise to power, and the second with David's reign as king. Here's the thing about David's life. It was marked almost totally by conflict. From his very early days, his battle with Goliath, when he was only a kid, through his long civil war with Saul, then those seemingly endless struggles with the Philistines as he tried to consolidate his authority over Israel. Well, finally we hear, as he reached maturity, David was, and here's the quote from 2 Samuel, given rest from his enemies on every side. That's something new for David. This was the ancient way of saying that he had arrived. He could relax. Well, during this time, his thoughts turned to the dwelling place of God and his resolution to build a temple in honor of Yahweh. Now, to understand this, we have to look at the the deeper background. For many centuries, from the time of the Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant had been kept in a tabernacle or a tent, which traveled with the Israelite people through the desert, and then traveled with them often from town to town, place to place. Finally, it was David who brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem and made it the holy city. It was a very temporary, impermanent, kind of, frankly, flimsy place for the Ark of the Covenant. And so it bothers David as he begins to consolidate his power, as he lives in a palace, that God is dwelling in a tent. Well, though Nathan the prophet originally gave the divine sanction to this plan, eventually he told David that God did not want him to build a temple. That would be for his son, Solomon. Instead, God made a promise, and it's one of the most extraordinary in the Bible, and it's, it's in our passes today. Listen. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your heir after you sprung from your loins, and I will make his kingdom firm. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall stand firm Forever. Now, pretty extraordinary promise. And here's what's fascinating David's son, Solomon, did indeed reign after him, so the Davidic line began. For a brief time, Solomon's kingdom was indeed firm, but in very short order after Solomon's death, the kingdom split in two. Almost immediately, it was compromised. David's line, continuing now in the south, lasted for a long time. It lasted for around 400 years. But then the Babylonians came, conquered the city of Jerusalem, David's city, burned down Solomon's temple, and carried the last of the Davidic kings off into exile. One more reason, by the way, that the Babylonian captivity was so traumatic, for biblical Jews. The capital city destroyed, the temple torn down, and this Davidic line, which was meant to last forever, brought to an end. You know, you'd say, well, it was a pretty good run, 400 years, but it was hardly a kingdom that endured forever. It appeared as though, in light of the Babylonian captivity, that either Nathan, the prophet, or Yahweh himself got this one wrong. Ah, but friends, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. In the biblical world, one should never be misled by surface appearances. Listen, things in the divine economy are rarely as they seem to ordinary perception. Let me say that again. In the divine economy, things are rarely as they seem to ordinary perception hey, what's going on in the world? You look around, you read it culturally, politically, and that's true as far as it goes, but that's not what's really going on. What's really going on is God's plan, God's economia, as the church fathers put it, the law of God's household. Fast forward now from the time of the Babylonian captivity, another roughly 600 years, to a little hovel in the nothing town of Nazareth in Galilee, where a young woman, perhaps no more than 16, enters into a very strange conversation. And this, of course, is our gospel for today. An angel had appeared to Mary. And in keeping with the usual biblical description, this heavenly visitor was frightening. First thing he says to her is, Don't be afraid. Then he tells her that she is full of grace. Then this, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and he will be great, and will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Huh. That Davidic line, which had, in the political sense, effectively disappeared at the Babylonian captivity, that line of kings coming from David had been put to an end by this invading force. Anyone reading the situation purely through political or cultural lenses would have said, That promise that God made through Nathan the prophet, that promise was false. But things are rarely as they seem in the divine economy. David's line had continued, though in a much quieter way. It had continued not in this explicit political sense, but descendants of David went on. Culminating in this obscure figure, Joseph of Nazareth, who took as his wife Mary, meaning that anyone born of Mary would be claimed by his house and would be, therefore, a descendant of David. And so this one announced by the angel would be, in the most unexpected way, the fulfillment of this prophecy. How humble, insignificant, unkingly he appears to be. Nevertheless, in him, the promise made many centuries before would come true. Again, here's now the poetry. Here's the irony. Here's always that drama of reversal characteristic of the Bible. He would not be a conquering king with an endless set of successors, but he would be the one who would establish, listen now, in his mystical body a church, which would indeed last for all ages. There it is. There it is. And can you catch it? Can you catch the delicious irony of this? The fact that I am speaking these words, that you are hearing them in the context of your Christian faith, is itself, in the most dramatic but unexpected way, the fulfillment of this prophecy— The Davidic line would go on and, yes, would last for all ages in this Christ, this hidden descendant of David who would establish the kingdom of his mystical body. And there's more. We recall that David had resolved to build a temple, a dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant, a house, if you want, for the Word of God. As we saw, God said, no, it's not for you, but it's for your son, Solomon. And Solomon did indeed build that great temple, which lasted for hundreds of years before it was destroyed by the Babylonians. It was rebuilt after the return of the exile, and this second temple was renovated by Herod just before the time of Jesus, and that second temple was finally destroyed by the Romans in the year 70. Again, this promise seemed... Void. But then we recall that humble maid of Nazareth and the words of the angel. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Who is the new and final and definitive Ark of the Covenant. But Mary herself. What was the Ark? What was the tabernacle? They were the dwelling places of the Word of God entrusted to Israel in those Ten Commandments. The final definitive Ark of the Covenant is the womb of Mary, the body of Mary, which carries within itself the Word of God in the fullest possible sense. Mary becomes, in the most unexpected way, the fulfillment of this promise of the temple, a dwelling place for the Word of God. And So it's important for us, friends, as Christmas comes close, we come now to the end of the Advent season, to meditate upon the complex interrelationship between these many biblical figures. David, the king, to whom God promised an endless line that would last forever. Ah, not in that ordinary, superficial, political sense. Political kingdoms never last that long. But in the mystical sense, David's kingdom would be fulfilled in Christ, his distant descendant. And then the promise made to David and to Solomon about the temple. Fulfilled not in the ordinary cultural, historical sense, that temple is long gone, but fulfilled mystically in Mary, who becomes herself the Ark of the Covenant, the Tabernacle, the Temple of the Word of God. It's against the backdrop of the Old Testament that we properly understand what the New Testament is about. And meditating upon these interwoven characters, we're now ready to receive Christ. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.